I learned in our preschool Sunday school class, uh, and, and we sang it just like that, I think. We did that. <laughs> so, grab your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Yeah, final chapter in this book that uh, we've been going through, nearly finished with this series, Following Jesus in a, in a Messy World. And uh, as always, I encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles as I read our passage for today, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 1, going through verse 5, says this, This is the third time I am coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Since you are seeking for the proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Father God, again, we just uh, thank you so much for a great opportunity to worship together this morning. We pray at this time of preaching, God, you would work. Your spirit would be free to move in our hearts, in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this passage can easily be divided into uh, two main sections, and the theme of both, both of them would be the state of your heart, which obviously would greatly impact the state of your life. And the two sections could be called plural and, and singular, or uh, group and solo, community, individual, right? There's just instructions on how we are to interact together as a group, as a whole, as a church, and there's instructions there for you as an individual. And the first section, that plural section, is found in verses 1 through 4. And in that, Paul is describing um, his um, ability to confront sin in the church. And actually, more specifically, he's talking about sin by certain individuals in the church. That's what verse 2 was talking about. It's the key to this section. It says, I have previously said, when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Now, before we, we dive into the, the particulars and specifics of, of this uh, verse, let's make sure we get the overall context down again in our, in our minds since we've had a, a bit of a break here. Uh, the church in Corinth was founded by the Apostle Paul uh, a couple years earlier uh, after he left to continue church planting in other regions. Some false teachers claiming to be super apostles moved in and began leading the church astray. And part of their strategy was to defame and tear down the apostle Paul in order to elevate themselves in the eyes of the people to make themselves uh, look better. And apparently that strategy worked fairly well as a big bulk of the church just turned its back on Paul and his teachings and started following uh, these false teachers. And as a result, Paul uh, sent a very uh, harshly uh, 
worded letter known as the severe letter uh, to them, challenging them and calling them to repentance and, and, and to return to Him. And a, a big majority of the church did uh, not return to Him, return to Jesus Christ. And, and a big majority of the church did, um, but um, they, they were still had the false teachers in the church and, and a small faction that was uh, following them. And, and the last four chapters of Second Corinthians has really been primarily focused on that small faction and, and what needs to be done with them and through them and all this type of thing. Obviously, the teachings for the whole church and for everybody as well. But that puts this challenge of verse 2 into that context. That's the challenge that he's making there. That's the perspective. These false teachers had claimed that Paul was, was weak and an ineffectual spiritual leader. And in this verse, Paul says, hey, you, you, you want proof of the strength of Christ uh, that is active and works in me? Well, here it is. And, and the proof would be that he was willing to and able to follow through in confronting the sin among those church members. And when that is done in a, in a formal way, it often goes by the name of church discipline. And church discipline is not something that is a popular topic, uh, especially here in America or the Western world in general, right? Because we put up on a pedestal this whole idea of rugged individualism and, and and myself uh, getting to do what I want to do. You remember, uh, if you're old enough, um, you may remember, or if you like the oldies, uh, a song by Billy Joel. It actually came out 40 years ago, uh, a couple months ago. And, uh, and uh, by the next year, 1979, it was the number three song on the Billboard charts, just hugely popular song. And it was called My Life. And it was an anthem that celebrated uh, this idea that nobody else uh, should have anything to say about your life and your choices. And the chorus of the song went like this. It said, I don't need you to worry for me because I'm all right. I don't want you to tell me it's time to come home. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. Okay? And, and, and that's pretty common thinking in our culture. Uh, I'm sure there's some other songs out there, uh, much more modern songs, that have that same theme. I just don't know them. Uh, and... Um, uh, we don't like other people sticking their noses in our business, and we define our business as anything that has to do with me, right? Uh, and uh, we especially don't like it if it involves them, them being these other people, right? Pointing out flaws, character defects, or sin, right? If somebody comes to us and points out something negative like that, we're not usually very happy about that. Rarely, when that happens, would our initial response be, oh, thank you so much for taking time to point that out in my life. Uh, this has obviously been a blind spot in my life. I wasn't aware of that, and so I'm so grateful for you taking the time to bring this to my attention. I'm going to rush right home now and make a plan to facilitate change in my life to take care of this issue. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Is that how you've responded 
in these situations? Yeah, me neither. Uh, uh, you know what my initial reaction is? Uh, defensiveness, right? Uh, maybe I'll try to deny uh, what they see in my life as really being a problem. You know, it's more like, oh, you know, that's, that's no big deal or you must be mistaken or I'm not really like that. You just kind of caught me at a bad day or, or this type of thing, which leads to the second normal reaction, which is to justify uh, the response or the reaction, right? Uh, you know, if, if that other person hadn't done that, well, then I wouldn't have, you know, responded this way or done that or, or we'll say things like, you know, it's, it's just my personality type or uh, it's, it's the way I am, or, you know, it's how I was raised, you know, this type of thing. Whatever it is, we, we, we make excuses and we justify. We don't respond well when sin is pointed out in our life. And, and I think there's two main reasons for that, right? Nobody I know likes to have anything negative, these defects, sins, flaws pointed out. But two, we are that individualistic society. We don't want anybody messing with our life and telling us this is the way we're supposed to be or what you're supposed to do. So the question is, as we approach this passage, is God telling us that we're supposed to let everyone in the church examine our lives and then point their finger in our face and let us have it whenever they see anything wrong in us? Is that what he's promoting? Well, let's, let's take a look and see if we can figure out exactly what's going on and how it applies to us today. Look again uh, at verse 1 where he says, This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So Paul is prepping them now. He's telling them, I'm coming again, and this is going to be his third visit. And he's making it clear on this third visit, he is going to be dealing with sin amongst some of the church members. And we know that he is talking about sin because of the immediate context. At at the end of chapter 12, as we're moving into chapter 13, and remember there were no chapter divisions back then. It was just a a flowing letter. At the end of verse 12, Paul expressed his fear of what he might find in the church on this third visit. And he said that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. These are all sins that directly impact the, the unity of the church. And the truth is, how we get along with each other and the bond that we develop with one another is vitally important to God. As you read the New Testament, you will discover that he stresses unity within the church more than he stresses any other specific attribute. There should be a a, a brotherhood and a bond among all of us within a local church body. And that's probably why the command to love one another is the most frequent command in Scripture. Now, this does not mean that you're going to be, you know, best buddies with everybody in the church. 
right? You're going to have a natural affinity with some people over other people. That, that's uh, that's going to happen. There, there's going to be those people that you will spend more time with in social type settings, you know, sharing a meal or, or uh, working together on some hobby, taking walks together, uh, just developing friendships with them because of, of um, spending that time together. And, and that's um, okay. You know, this, this happens a lot of times because of specific connection points that we, we, we might have, such as uh, age uh, um, or uh, life situation or similar uh, ministry um, passions or careers or hobbies or, or some other uh, type of connection point. And, and w- w- with those people, you're, you're just going to oftentimes build that closer friendship bond than you will with other people in the church. That's perfectly normal. That's okay. What is not acceptable, at least in God's eyes as he presents it to us here, is that there would be someone within the church that you would not treat as a brother or sister in Christ. And that means a whole lot more than just admitting, yeah, yeah, I know they're a fellow Christian, but I don't want to have anything to do with them. You know, just admitting they're a fellow Christian is not what he's talking about here. He's talking about how we treat and, and relate to one another. It means treating them with love and respect and doing as, as God commands in Ephesians chapter 4 where he says being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be- being diligent can be translated as striving or working hard or, or, or making every effort. The reality is there are times where we have to actually work at unity. There are some people we have to work at unity with. You know why? Because we live in a messy world. And there are going to be times when we misunderstand the motives or the actions of another person. Or there'll be times where we don't misunderstand it and they hurt us. Or we hurt them. We live in a messy world. And so God tells us we need to work at this. So go back to that list of words that Paul gives there at the end of uh, chapter 12, verse 20. Is there someone within the church that you have strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slander, gossip, arrogance, or disturbances with? God says that's not good. And We need to do something about it. Now, it was to the point in the Corinthian church where Paul says, I'm coming in and I'm getting involved in this because something needs to happen. That's how important unity in the church is to God. In fact, It's so important to him that did you know he would rather have you go work out whatever that strife, whatever that difficulty is with that person, he'd rather have you go do that than be sitting in church this morning. We need to take care of these things. So that's one area of sin. 
that Paul was going to deal with. The second area is listed in verse 21 of, of chapter 12. It says, those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Uh, these are sins of, of moral failure, especially sexual sins. And these also must be dealt with. Now, that's the context of verse 1 where Paul says, okay, now this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. He is going to deal with these sinful things going on in the lives uh, of some in the church. But the big question is, well, who, who is that some? And we find that there's two qualifiers in this passage. The first one is there in verse 1 where it says these things that are confirmed by two or three witnesses. So in other words, this is, this is not a witch hunt, you know, where somebody gets mad at somebody else, so he levels an accusation against them just to get them in trouble. That, that's not what's going on here. Rather, this is a sin that is known and confirmed by at least two or three witnesses. It's not speculation. It's not assuming. It's not guess, guessing. And it most definitely is not someone saying, well, I, I just know it. I can tell. I, I'm sure nobody in here has ever done that, where you know what the motives of somebody else is. So I, I just know it. I know what they're thinking. I know what they're... We wouldn't do that. But that does happen uh, sometimes. That's not what Paul is talking about here. The second qualifier is found in verse 2 when it says, those who have sinned in the past. Now, when you first read that, you might stop and go, wait, wait, hold on a minute here. Uh, isn't that all of us? I mean, I, I, I'm no, I've sinned in the past. Uh, you don't even have to go all that far in the past. Uh, maybe earlier this morning, uh, uh, this type of deal. So, I mean, isn't he talking about all of us? Well, th- this is one of those phrases that, that takes a little bit deeper study uh, to get going. And, and by the way, when you're studying uh, a phrase like this, one of the best study aids you can get is the Bible, the, the wider context, what's, what's going on here. And as you read through this context, you'll see that he uses that exact same phrase a little earlier, back in the end of chapter 12 again. And, and here's what he says, those who have sinned in the past and not repented. Okay, so now we get a little bit more detail about what he's talking about here or, or seeing. Uh, uh, this is, uh, uh, you know, if you did say just sinned in the past, yes, that would be all of us. Uh, that's, that's true of every single person. But this is for those who have sinned and not repented. And, and, and remember, he is talking, he's writing to the church right? So this is not talking about the sins of the non-believing world. This is not talking about all of those out there. That's not our job to go confront their sin. Instead, these people had at one point repented, had come to Christ, and were part of the church. And in these people, he is talking about a specific sin in their past that they have refused to repent of. And then if you want to dive in and do a little deeper studying you can get yourself some some word studies and greek uh, study aids and all this kind of stuff and you find out that the tense of the verb that is used here indicates a sin that started at a particular point in time in the past was not repented of and is continuing on until this day so putting all of that together here's what paul is talking about what he's doing he is going to confront 
people with known, verifiable sins that have refused to repent and instead rebelliously continue on in that same sin. So let's eliminate, just for clarity's sake, what he's not talking about here. He's not talking about the Christian who has stumbled and fallen and, and, and then repented. We all stumble and fall. That, that's, that's, that's all of us. He's not even talking about the, the Christian who struggles with a particular sin and therefore frequently seems to stumble and fall in that area. But he would, rec- he would say, do you recognize that as sin? Are you, are you working? Are you, are, are, are you uh, trying to change and, and, and repenting of that? If so, again, that's not something he's talking about. These verses are about the person who knows they are sinning, doesn't care, keeps on going in the sin, and thinks that's okay. That, that's, that's what he's talking about here. And Paul is saying, no, it's not okay, because not only does it hurt that person, who is a part of the church, right? We're talking a believer. Not only does it hurt them, but it hurts the whole church as well. Now, we, we don't have the Apostle Paul with us today to come charging in and... and uh, wield his apostolic authority to tell these people, hey, you better knock this off and, and, and get things changed here. Instead, what God has given us is the church. And as a group, we are supposed to be helping one another. And, and yes, specifically, God gave leaders, uh, elders and pastors in the church to help maintain this call to, to holy living. Understanding that none of us is perfect, but all of us ought to be growing and heading in that upward direction. It's the trajectory that's important, not the individual stumbles per se. Earlier in this very letter, Second Corinthians, Paul wrote, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Our growth, our transformation to, to this holy living is based on and, and empowered by the promises of God that He has given us and, and that we receive from Him. But it's also something that you choose to do and work on. That's what that verse says, right? Let us do this based on those promises. If that's not the direction of your life, if that's not what's going on in you, wouldn't you want someone to love you enough, to care about you enough, to come alongside of you, And not just call you on that, but actually help you. See, that's not, that's, that's called support and encouragement in our Christian walk, not condemnation. If it's just condemnation, it's not biblical. But if it's coming alongside to lift up and to offer a helping hand, then that's what God is looking for. These verses are not about, you know, some self-proclaimed spiritual police running around uh, trying to inspect everybody's life and busting them for whatever they think they failed in. We, we all fail. We continue to fail. That's why we need Jesus. 
these verses are about living in community with other believers in such a way that you have that kind of relationship with someone else that they would be able to come alongside of you for encouragement, for accountability, for help, and yes, when you need it, for a rebuke. And that's why I say these verses are about the heart because it takes a specific kind of heart to be in that kind of relationship. It has to be a heart that, first of all, wants to grow in their faith. And that's not a given, is it? Because it's pretty easy for a Christian to become content with just being where they're at, just doing the church thing once a week or, or once every so often, and, and okay, I got that out of the way. This has to be a heart that really wants to grow And then second, recognizes that one of the primary ways that God designed for us to grow was in having relationships with one another that bring about this accountability and encouragement and spurring one another on for growth. Now, that does not mean that everybody in the church knows equally everything that's going on in your life, right? Uh, the picture we get in, in the New Testament as it, as it develops is, is one where, of course, you have the church leaders who are given that responsibility of the spiritual uh, oversight and care and the needs of the church members, and they can be involved. But you, you get that picture of close, confidential friends, small groups of people doing life together. And that's one of the reasons why I think small groups are, are so important. These are positive spiritual relationships, ones that are helping you to grow, not ones that are just hunting to hurt you for every defect. And, and if your heart is open to these things, you're going to want to develop that kind of spiritual friendship with people. Uh, again, that's the benefit of connecting with people in a small group. The Bible stresses over and over again, we live in community. We are not an individualistic society as Christians. We are part of a body, of a family, of a brotherhood. Now, a heart like that, it begins with an individual assessment. And that's what Paul moves to in verse 5. And this will be very short, the second point. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. And Paul uses two words to describe what he wants you to do at this point. Test and examine. Right? To, to examine means to, to study carefully. So this is no cursory glance or no quick look-see, you know, just a a shallow look-see, right? You're going to take time to deeply and seriously look at what's really happening in your life. And then the word uh, test means to prove it, right? When you put something to the test, you are checking to see if what you observe is actually real. And and this is important. Again, he's writing, think about who's he writing to here? He's writing to church people. Christians, people who are gathered together in the church. And Paul's telling them, be certain that you're in the faith, not just in the church. 
Because going to church is not the answer. It does not make you a Christian, and it's not going to fix your life. Just showing up at church. Just doing a bunch of churchy things doesn't make you a Christian. Giving lots of money to Camp Halawasa, although that'd be a really good thing. <laughs> even that, even that does not make you a Christian. Paul is telling these people, examine yourself, test yourself. Make sure you're actually in the faith. Now, examining yourself, that can be tough because, you know, our hearts are notoriously deceitful. So the best self-examination is actually a God-directed examination. That's, that's what King David was praying for in Psalm 139 when he pleaded with God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Uh, let God be the one to run a diagnostic on your heart. Don't be satisfied with just being religious or going to church. What you want and what you really need is Jesus Christ in you. That's what that verse is look, examining, right? Because it's Jesus Christ in you that transforms your life. It's Jesus Christ in you that gives you confidence for the future. Not, not just eternity down the road someday. Confidence for what you're facing today and tomorrow and next year in this life. It's Jesus Christ in you that gives you hope and peace and joy and fulfillment and everything else that your heart is searching for. Jesus in you is all that matters. Would you bow with me? Father God, I first want to pray that if there's anyone in here who is uncertain about their relationship with you, that today would be the day that they would make that certain, that it's not just about going to church and being here, but it's about Jesus Christ in them. And right now in their own hearts, they can pray just asking you to come in and you will give them new life, forgive sins, and dwell in them. And God, you are the one who needs to examine our heart if there's any hurtful way in us. If there's anything about us with a relationship with another person that is hurting the unity between me and them within this body, that we would take care of that. If there's any sin in our life, God, that, that you are now pointing out to us that we know we've got to deal with, God, give us the courage to be people who would do that. Because, God, in that is how you help to transform our lives and make us the people you want us to be and the church you want us to be. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.